because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. This week I'm talking again about the new Michael Moore-backed film, Planet of the Humans. Now, last week I talked about uh, some of the, you know, sort of good things about the movie, you might say, the things that it got mostly right. And today I'm going to be talking about the top five things Planet of the Humans gets totally wrong. So just to review last time, for those of you who didn't see it, uh, you might want to watch that one first. Uh, You can watch that on YouTube or listen to it on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Just go to the Power Hour uh, from the last week of April. And so just to recap the things I covered last week very quickly. So one is uh, green energy is a high impact industrial process. So in terms of that's something the point the movie made, that's an important point. Green energy has many undesirable environmental impacts. Again, the movie makes that point. That's a valuable point. Green energy is hugely dependent on fossil fuels. This is maybe the most important point that comes across in the movie. That's, you know, obviously I think that's a really important point. 100% renewable is energy accounting fraud, another point the movie makes, and that's an important point. And then number five, leading green energy advocates are a terrifying combination of ignorant and dishonest, another crucial point. Last week, I also talked about some of the responses of what you could call green energy advocates to these points, where I think the main response they had that's somewhat true is that some of the claims that the movie makes are out of date. Uh, but I think that just that just pertains to it. In some cases, it's it's getting the degree of things wrong, but in terms of the basic ideas, I think the basic ideas are still right, and the green energy advocates don't really have an answer to that. But let's jump into this week. What are the top five things Planet of the Humans gets totally wrong? Now, to set the context for this, I want to review once again what uh, what the movie covers in terms of what are, what are its basic uh, points. So the, and I think the first logical point of the movie, which is not to say it's true, I disagree with it, but the fossil fuels that power our industrial civilization are destroying the planet. So that's definitely, it doesn't even really explain that very much, but that's certainly the premise that it's on. Point two is that green energy claims to be able to preserve our industrial civilization without fossil fuels, negative impacts. And so that's, it's just saying that's what they're claiming. Three is green energy. Uh, is hugely dependent on fossil fuels and has many undesirable environmental impacts of its own. That I also covered last week. Green energy advocates are driven by a combination of money, power, and ignorance. Last week, I really focused on uh, ignorance. And then the last one is the only way to avoid destroying our planet is to dramatically lessen our impact on the planet above all through population reduction. So this week, I'm really going to be taking on claims one and claims five. So last week, I don't know if any of the producers of the film saw this or heard of my comments on Twitter, but they might think, yeah, like this Alex guy is basically in agreement with us, or he thinks we did a good job. I think once you see this week, you will see, uh, I do not think, I think this movie is overall really 
really bad. It does do a certain service in terms of telling some of the truth about green energy, but in terms of its its goals for humanity, uh, you'll see. So I want to just preview what I think are the five things, and then I'll go into some more depth uh, on each of them and show you some clips uh, from the film. So problem one is it, it evades, and most of these you're going to see are it evades. It evades how bad the natural planet was and is for human life. Two, it evades how good today's humanized planet is for human life. It's planet of the humans. That's supposed to be a bad thing in the movie. Point, th point three, it evades our ability to create new value and grow indefinitely. That's the one I'm going to cover most. Point four, it evades our ability to produce more value with fewer side effects. For example, nuclear, I'll focus on. And point five, it evaluates the state of the planet by an anti-human standard, which I'd call unchanged nature, not a pro-human standard, which I would call uh, human flourishing. So point one, it evades how bad the natural planet was and is for human life. So I want to show you a, a video from the film. It's a very quick one from the beginning where people are asked about what they think about the future of the human race and this, uh, this planet. You know, unless we can get to another planet, but then we're just going to fuck it up like we did Earth. So fuck it up like we did Earth. That's the, that's the characterization of what we've done to this planet. And part of what makes this characterization possible is what I call the perfect planet premise. So this is the idea that absent human impact, and in, in particular absent industrialization, which is really the large-scale impact of human beings becoming much more productive with machine power, the planet is perfect. And the three elements I think of are it's stable, so you know, it doesn't change too much, it's safe, and it's sufficient, as in it gives us what we need. And the whole problem is with industrialization, we just want more, 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 and we're being selfish and greedy, and it's ultimately going to be self-destructive. I'll talk about the ultimately self-destructive in a few minutes. Now, the reality is this is just totally untrue, and there's nothing in the movie to at all indicate what life was like in nature and is like in nature in the less industrialized countries, often called the less developed countries. So what I have here is, is a graph which captures until 200 years ago, what was the state of some key metrics of what I would call human flourishing, human beings living to their highest potential. And I'll, I have CO2 emissions here. I'll get back to that one in a minute. But life expectancy is a flat around 30 or almost completely flat. And then GDP per person, so that's income, how many resources the average person has at their disposal, that's pretty close to flat. And then population, in part because people are dying so early, in large part, the population is pretty flat. So the planet is supporting you know, a billion, at, at the end of this, a billion people, but at very low standard of living with very low life expectancy. So the human beings are definitely experiencing the planet as dangerous and deficient. And then you see CO2 emissions, though, are perfect by our modern standards. There's We haven't added any significant CO2 to the atmosphere in the past. Of course, we're doing things like breathing and burning wood, but it's not, it doesn't have that significant an uh, effect. But this notice that as CO2 emissions are really low, 
life is really bad for people. And so that's not to say that you couldn't have a future where we had low CO2 emissions and life was good, but you would need the key ingredient of industrialization, which is really the focus of this movie in terms of why that's so bad. Not just CO2 is a challenge, but industrialization as such is bad. And yet the pre-industrial and non-industrial planet is really a bad place for the average human being to live. Some people on this, you know, in the natural state of things live in a way that we would recognize as pretty good, but those people are overwhelmingly the powerful, as in they command the power of other human beings to produce for them, and then those other human beings are largely being uh, exploited. And so this leads us to point two. The movie is, I said point one, it's evading how bad life in nature is, and point two is it evades how good today's humanized planet is for human life. And I, I'm using the term humanized here to capture that we have made the planet a more human-friendly place. And the movie is, is saying that's a bad thing, but it's, it's evading that it's been really good for us. So it evades how bad the natural state was for the average person in particular, and it, it evades how good today's uh, humanized planet is for, for human life. So the, I think the most telling quote of the movie is where the, the director, Jeff Gibbs, talks about what he calls the most terrifying realization I've ever had. So you think about the, what's the most terrifying realization I've, uh, I've ever had. And let's, uh, let's, let's look at this and, and watch this carefully, what he thinks is terrifying. It took modern humans tens of thousands of years to reach a population of 700 million. And then we tapped into millions of years of stored energy known as fossil fuels. Our human population exploded. It increased by 10 times in a mere 200 years. Our consumption has also exploded, on average 10 times per person, and many times more in the Western world. You put the two together, the result is a total human impact 100 times greater than only 200 years ago. And that is the most terrifying realization I have ever had. So you see at the end of the clip, he's sitting there and he's looking really philosophical and contemplative and, and thinking, gosh, we've, we've increased our impact by 100 times. And that's, that's really bad. But let's look at that. Let's look at what that actually means that we've increased our impact a hundred times. What it means is that the earth is a much more human friendly place because we've been impacting it in part because the impact generally benefits us and because we haven't all been dying. That's the main thing. You look at this guy. I don't know how old Gibbs is. He may well be in his 60s, certainly at least in his 50s. Uh, he certainly would not be alive, or almost certainly would not be alive, on a previous iteration of our planet that was pre-industrial. So I just want to show you what I think is the most important graph, uh, really, in the whole energy and climate discussion. And so th what this is, is this is a continued version of what I showed you earlier. What I showed you earlier was the graph where you see, until 200 years ago, CO2 emissions are flat, life expectancy is flat, GDP per person is flat, population is flat, or they're all close to flat. And then what you see is in the last 200 years, they are all spiking up. It looks like a hockey stick. You have the, you know, the, it, the first 
before 200 years ago is basically flat. And then it's like the blade of the hockey stick. It just shoots up. And so I call these the, the human flourishing hockey sticks or sometimes the hydrocarbons and human flourishing hockey sticks because hydrocarbons is the more technical term for fossil fuels because it's uh, you know based on molecules that are combinations, primarily combinations of hydrogen atoms and carbon atoms. So what this is showing is this humanized planet is much, much better for human, is a much better place for human beings to live. And what it means is there are many more of us. And yet, despite the fact that there are many more of us, we live a lot longer and we have a lot more resources at our disposal. That's what GDP per person means. And that means we have a lot more opportunity. And then as Gibbs somewhat indicated, the CO2 emissions is related to this because the, by far the best way we've had of producing machine power is by using these fossil fuels that emit CO2 as a byproduct. And so the CO2 is a pretty good uh, proxy or approximation for how much energy we've been using. So what we've seen is that today's, what we've done, you can think of it as we've made the planet a much better place to live by making ourselves far more productive with low cost machine power. So here are a couple of perspectives on that. One is that we've transformed a naturally deficient planet into an unnaturally nourishing planet. So you could think of it as we're taught that, oh, well, the planet is you know naturally sufficient. It gives us the food that we need. No, it doesn't. Uh, in almost every circumstance, it definitely doesn't. We always have to produce our food, but without low-cost machine power, we have to do it uh, with mostly manual labor which means that we're spending most of our time or huge amounts of our time on food and we're not getting a very good result. We're still vulnerable to starvation and we certainly don't have abundant, healthy, tasty food like we all have the opportunity to have today. And today we get not only much better food than people had, but we can produce it in much less time, which frees up time in other areas of life, which brings me toward the next point about the world we live in. We've transformed a naturally dangerous planet into an unnaturally safe one. So not only is nature not naturally sufficient, it doesn't give us the, the nourishment, the sustenance, the, you know, the food and water we need to flourish or even to survive. It also gives us a lot of dangers. It gives us dangers from climate, you know, so, so inanimate dangers, and it gives us lots of dangers from different kinds of predators, whether very large ones uh, or small ones. And we're currently dealing with a scary virus. And so that should remind us that uh, whatever the particular origin of this, nature is full of these kinds of dangers. And so what we need to be able to do is we need the ability to produce protection against those. And here, low-cost machine power is our best friend because it 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 does two things. It gives us it gives us all of these amazing machines. You think about all the machines we're using in medicine and all the machines we're using to build and power sturdy uh, shelters and all the machines we use to make clothing that's super cheap for everyone to afford. So it protects us from nature in terms of the machine power, but also by because machine power frees up huge amounts of time, it gives us a huge amount of time to think about how to protect ourselves. And you think about something like COVID-19, how great it is that we have people who can specialize in treating this and also specialize in developing new uh, pioneering treatments and tests and maybe ultimately uh, vaccines for this. 
that's all made possible by low cost machine power. So because we have this incredible productive ability made possible by low cost machine power, we, uh, you know, we have in effect transformed a world that's very dangerous into one that's very safe. And the best example of this for our current discussion is climate, because climate is viewed as something that, oh, it was safe, and then, then we made it dangerous. But what this chart that I show a lot shows is it shows climate-related deaths and how that relates to rising CO2 levels. And it shows that as we've been increasing our emissions and increasing the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, then that correlates with climate-related deaths going way down. So that's deaths from storms and flood and heat and cold, all the things that are supposedly getting worse. And the reason that's happening is, is twofold. One is it's definitely exaggerated, although not fabricated, but exaggerated how much of a warming uh, influence CO2 has and how many climate changes that leads to. It has some, but it's exaggerated as uh, like apocalyptic, just as you've seen with the there's somewhat of a parallel to the uh, coronavirus, although not a perfect parallel, but where you've seen that there was a lot of focus on um, apocalyptic scenarios versus a rational estimate. I think coronavirus is much more dangerous than CO2, but that's a sort of a different subject. The main issue is that what we've seen so far, at least, is that whatever CO2 has done to climate, whether that's made it a little more dangerous or a little safer, whether it's ended up being pretty neutral, there's something else that caused this this lowering of climate related deaths and that i think a lot of that is the energy the machine power that came along with the co2 because that's what enabled us to do things like alleviate drought through mass irrigation or to protect ourselves from in, in extreme heat through air conditioning or extreme cold uh through low cost heating it's really that it's it's the machine power that has given us the ability to make ourselves unnaturally safe from climate. And the, the same dynamic I discussed with time, where the amount of time it's freed up, machine power frees up, allows us to discover things and develop things like early warning systems and have, have specialists in weather so that we can uh, avoid the most dangerous storms in addition to building good shelters against them. So again, it's that we live in an, in an unnaturally safe world because of our uh, unnatural level of ability that's all made possible by low-cost machine power from fossil fuels. So that's the actual state of the planet of the humans. And one final perspective, if we just talk about fulfillment, in, and in particular, we can focus on the ability to enjoy nature because that's something that the movie is is trading on, I think, and talking about how, hey, there are a lot of beautiful places and we want to enjoy them and we want to be outdoors. By the way, I wish that perspective was more on display right now when we just are told safer inside and all the benefits of being outdoors are being totally ignored. That's actually, I'm doing another power hour this week uh, called uh, Safer Outside. So you can check that one out. Uh, but that's a, that's a digression uh, here. But if you just think about what is our opportunity to pursue fulfillment, which is what the, what most of us are after. What is, how does that relate to fossil fuels? Well, you just think about, in particular, the issue of time, how much time we have to choose to do different things, and then how machine power allows us to, say, visit some of the nicest places in the world. There are so many ways in which having low-cost machine power makes us actually able to enjoy uh, 
the natural world and more broadly to just have so many options in life, both in terms of the, all the different productive careers we can pursue with machine power versus when pretty much everyone was a, a farmer. And then in terms of all the leisure opportunities, you know, all the vacations we can take, all the nice things we can we can do at home, even just something like surfing, which I've taken up recently. Just think about how are those boards being produced uh, at low cost? Well, it's because all the different materials and the process of assembling them is powered by low cost machine power and fossil fuels are by far the lowest cost source of machine power for billions of people. So we're going to talk in a second about the future and is this sustainable, but even if you think there's something unsustainable, you have to acknowledge that we live in an amazing world. It's great for us to be empowered. And importantly, billions of people are still unempowered. They have little or no electricity, they're heating their homes and cooking their food with wood and animal dung. If you're actually concerned about human beings, you need to acknowledge both how much progress we've made in terms of improving the planet so far and how much more progress there is for other people. And this movie acknowledges none of that. So that's why I keep using the term evades. One final perspective on this is that the world today is a rapidly progressing world. So I, I think of it as we've we've transformed a stagnant way of life into a rapidly progressing way of life. And that's something that the more natural state, the quote unquote sustainable state, that is that is a very stagnant state. You, know, you think of ancient cultures that last for thousands and thousands of years or people doing the same thing repetitively at a very low level. Uh, Fossil-fueled machine power has really changed that because by making us so productive and freeing up so much time, we have so much time to think about new innovations. So we, we expect that there will be improvements and innovations in every aspect of life, but that's only because we have the time to do the mental labor, including the innovation that progress requires. And so then you might be wondering, well, isn't all of this unsustainable? So again, I think it's important to say first, first we have to acknowledge how good it is. And then if it's unsustainable, then the point would be, well, it's, it's amazing, but unfortunately it can't continue or it can't continue in exactly the way it's going. But if you don't acknowledge that it's amazing, there's a big disconnect between you and valuing human life, which I'll talk about at the end that I don't think the makers of this movie do value human life. So this brings me to the, the third evasion that I think is behind this claim of unsustainable, which is the movie evades our ability to create new value and to grow in indefinitely. So I wanna show another video. There is a way out of this. We humans must accept that infinite growth on a finite planet is suicide. We must accept that our human presence is already far beyond sustainability and all that that implies. So we need to accept the limits, finite planet. So what's, what's going on here? One thing that's worth noting is that these claims about finite planet we can't really grow, it's unsustainable. These have been going on since the beginning of freedom and the beginning of, of capitalism, which is really the economic system that flows from people being free to produce and trade. And there, there have been these continuous claims of, yeah, it's gonna run out, it's gonna run out, it's gonna run out, and it keeps getting better and better. And one perspective is, well, we're right, 
we're just too early. But enough, I think if one is wrong for so long, one should think about, and part of a tradition that's long for, wrong for so long, one should think about, do we have any false assumptions here? And the false assumption here is really that human beings are parasites, that we are just like all the other animals. We feed off an environment. We're like bacteria in a Petri dish. And so once, you know, the bacteria will, will eventually run out of things to feed off and then it will die. And the reality is human beings are fundamentally different than the other species because we are producers. We're not parasites. And what we do is we create resources. We create resources. And the way we do this is we transform raw matter and energy into valuable resources. So an example of this is oil. Is oil a valuable natural resource? Well, people would generally say yes. Some people think it's unsustainable or it's hurting the planet, but is it valuable? Yeah, well, you can do a lot of things with it. You can fly a plane with it and you can make it into a bulletproof vest and you can use it to take a vacation to see loved ones and uh, you're using it in the medical supplies that are helping save people's lives right now. So oil is a valuable resource, but if you look 200 years ago, it wasn't a resource. It was considered useless. Why? Because it wasn't a resource until human intelligence figured out how to transform the raw matter and energy in the oil into a valuable resource. And so this is the, this is the human beings are resource creators. So when we think about our future, we should think not in terms of just what are the things we currently know how to use as resources, but, but also, if we're free to think and innovate, what are the unlimited other forms uh, of things that will be resources? Like it might be in the future, well, just water can be transformed into energy. If we could unlock the atomic energy in water, certainly with nuclear energy, there's just a huge amount of raw material that we can increasingly harness into energy. One economist, George Reisman, once, this is an approximate quote, described the ball, the earth is just a ball of matter and energy. So it's just a ball of potential resources and there's really no limit to what human ingenuity can do with that ball. And then we think about, well, all the other planets and then all the incoming matter, including just including the sunlight, like what we can do with just the incredible amount of currently unused and unusable raw matter and energy, if we have intelligence, we can continually create more resources. And this, this explains human progress, that we are what Julian Simon called the ultimate resource, the human mind, gets better and better at transforming raw matter and energy into valuable resources. Now, the whole movie just is either totally ignorant of or totally devalues humanity's productive ability. It's just a thread throughout. It's, it's just the whole thing is we're parasites, we're living off the earth, we're taking too much, it's going to run out, end of story. They just act like the last 200 years of history hasn't happened, including 200 years of catastrophist predictions of running out of stuff hasn't happened. So yeah, it's just a total, total evasion. Now I want to show another video that, that really captures this. The current acres of actively farmed land, that is peaked also. So this was a claim about agriculture. It's saying, okay, well, but it's the similar idea for everything else. You know, we're running out of food. Nature gave us a certain number of acres of land, and now we're not using as many, so we must be running out 
And what's actually happening is we're producing more food than ever. The, the average person is better fed and there are more people than ever on this planet. And so we're producing more and more food. So what's going on with the land? Well, instead of just assuming that, oh, we must be running out of land, maybe it's that we're using land more efficiently. And isn't that a good thing, all things be equal, that we can produce more crops on more land? So maybe we'll need less farmland over time. But this movie's whole perspective on production is there is no such thing as production. There's just parasitism, and it just takes random things out of context to say, oh, this is going down, and it's peaked, and it's going to continue to go down, versus recognizing that, no, human's productive ability continues to go up. And that is really what the truth is. And it's ultimately because of the ultimate resource, the human mind, that allows us to transform raw matter and energy into valuable resources. Now, there's um, another clip here that particularly pertains to the uh, issue of oil, which is interesting uh, because part of the idea of the movie is, well, we're going to run out of, of oil. And this, this was an interesting clip. I thought for them to select to make this point. We also knew someday we'd run out of oil. For millions of Americans, this may be the worst weekend they've ever faced for finding gasoline to give them the automobile freedom they take as their due. So this is from the 70s, and this is people worried about running out of oil, and this is supposed to show that we're somehow irresponsible, and yet... If you know the current situation in the world, the problem, if anything, is we're running into oil too much. So if you look at th this graph, this shows on the bottom is the consumption of oil, so how much we're consuming. And then above that is it, that's way higher and continues to go up is what are called proved reserves. And so proved reserves are basically, you can think of it as an inventory, the amount of, of oil resource that we consider as available to us. Now, how is it possible that the more oil we use, the more oil we have? Well, it has to do with resource creation. The amount of oil that's available to us is a function, most importantly, of our resource creation abilities. It turns out the world has tons and tons and tons, I mean, more than that, obviously, of, of what, are, what you can call raw oil or raw hydrocarbon that where oil exists somehow you know, many, you know, 10 plus times more than we've used in the entire history of civilization. But the key is, do we have the resource creation abilities to extract it and use it at a low cost compared to the alternatives? And what happens is, what's happened is the oil and gas industry exercises tons and tons of ingenuity to figure out more and more efficient ways for us to access what was once difficult to access oil. And yet this, this movie ignores our improving resource creation when it comes to oil and gas, but with everything. So it doesn't recognize we can not only get better and better at producing oil and gas resources, but at the same time, we can get better at figuring out how to get energy from other things. So there's no reason whatsoever why we need to decrease our energy consumption long term, certainly not from an availability standpoint. I'll talk in a minute about the side effects. But once again, the movie totally evades our ability to create resources. And these guys have to have been familiar with at least the economist Julian Simon, who wrote the book, the excellent book, uh, The Ultimate Resource, which talks about the the human mind as the ultimate resource. So there's a lot of evasion going on here. If, if you guys haven't heard of like proper resource theory, then you definitely should and then retract this whole movie. 
So now we've talked about the sustainability point. There's no reason to think that we're going to lack resources to be, uh, you know, to do what we currently do and even to do more. But then what about the side effects of using resources? Aren't those going to get worse and worse? And that's certainly the narrative of the movie that, well, pollution's going to get worse. Climate's going to become more dangerous. There's nothing that we can do except stop this industrial civilization. So we see this over and over and over. The side effects are going to get worse and worse. But here's a question, and I want to show a video in a second. What about something like pollution? So I'll, I'll show you the video and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. Back then, there was so much air pollution that would actually block out the sun. So this clip is from the 1970s, and he talks about maybe even the late 60s. Air pollution was so bad that it would often block out the sun, or at least sometimes block out the sun. I think the extent back then has been exaggerated, but what's for sure is in the United States, we have way less air pollution than we did five decades ago, four decades ago, three decades ago, and yet we use more energy, including more fossil fuels. So doesn't this point to the fact that we can actually produce more value with fewer side effects over time? So here's a, a graph that I, I show a version of in the moral case for fossil fuels, where if you look at what the Environmental Protection Agency would consider, I think, criteria pollutants, so different substances that at least in certain, everything's about dosage, but in certain quantities can be harmful to human health. So, you know, nitrous oxide and uh, sulfur dioxide, which is involved in smog and, and some of these other ones, carbon monoxide, these have all been going down even as fossil fuel use has been going up. So it's just a huge evasion to think that it's inevitable that if we're becoming more productive, then the side effects have to go up. Because what, what being productive, you can think of the essence of it, at least in the physical realm, is we're transforming matter from a less valuable form to a more valuable form. And part of that is that the, the end product is more valuable, but part of it is the process has fewer negative impacts. And the more intelligent we can become in terms of how to transform nature, you can think of it as how to manipulate matter, the better we become at getting more value. And as part of that is getting fewer side effects. And that's what human ingenuity does. That's part of our resource creation ability is to create more value with less of a, of a side effect. And I just wanna show you one more video on this, which just totally, once again, totally evades this capability of human beings. Seeking technological fixes one after another is simply going to, to lead us to another level of catastrophe sooner rather than later. Seeking another level of technological fix, that's an interesting term, is going to lead us to catastrophe sooner rather than later. But if we just take the issue of air pollution, how is this true? Like what we've done is we've been able to produce more energy. Just take a coal plant from the 70s versus today. You can produce more energy with the coal with much less of a side effect. So the technology helps you get the energy and the technology helps you lessen the side effect. Why can't that continue indefinitely? And maybe because they don't want an obvious refutation of how this can continue indefinitely, they don't talk about the most conspicuous example of how you can produce more value with fewer side effects, at least in the long term, which is nuclear energy. So let's talk just about the promise of nuclear energy. Now, I'm most known 
as an advocate of fossil fuels, but really what I'm an advocate of is using the best energy for human flourishing. And we've already, we already have huge evidence that nuclear energy has enormous potential. And I believe if decriminalized has a very good chance at being the energy of the future, although that will take I think quite a few decades to materialize if you think about producing not only electricity, but also transportation energy and industrial heat and home heat. But the, the, for our purposes today, if we're talking about sustainability and, and the future, there's just this obvious example of nuclear energy that the movie totally evades. So there's no mention of it. There's one mention in passing, but they don't. there's no real engagement of it. It just happens to come up. With nuclear, so we're talking about something with a virtually unlimited supply, even if you just think about uranium and thorium, the two uh, materials that are the basis of it in, in most of in basically all of today's technologies and what's called nuclear fission. This even leaves aside uh, what's called nuclear fusion. So you're, you're talking about something with virtually unlimited supply, takes a small amount of space. So if you're interested in wildlife type issues, which I am, uh, you're interested in preserving the most beautiful spaces. Well, the smaller space your energy production takes and all your production takes, the more options you have to produce really beautiful things. So why aren't you enthusiastic about nuclear? Also, why aren't you enthusiastic about fossil fuels, which, which prevent you from needing to cut down all kinds of forests and, uh, and you know, spread huge amounts of industrial solar panels and wind turbines all over the place? There's very little pollution in terms of emissions because the way, the way that nuclear works, it's, it's not uh, burning something. It involves generating heat. So it's similar to burning fossil fuels in that respect. So it turns a similar kind of what's called a turbine using what's called a heat engine. But it's the fissioning. It's called the fissioning that creates the heat, and it doesn't have doesn't have airborne byproducts in the same way that different forms of fossil fuels do. Although again, those are getting better and better, and are increasingly less hazardous uh, to people. And certainly, they're you know infinitely less hazardous than the hazard of not having the energy from the fossil fuels. But nuclear is like super clean in terms of how you create it. And then in terms of CO2, which that's different from air pollution type things, but it's so insofar as people are concerned with CO2 emissions, so there's no issue with those at the concentrations we're talking about today with breathing, but people are concerned with warming. Well, if you're concerned about that, then nuclear, the, the process of generating energy has no CO2 emissions. And then the, the process of building the thing overall leads to very little CO2 emissions compared to the alternatives, including to solar and wind, which are parasites on fossil fuels. So you can't think of their CO2 emissions absent the CO2 emissions uh, that are coming from the fossil fuels that they are parasites on. And yet, no mention of nuclear. So what is going on here? And so point five, and this is the most important point, is why this is all happening, why these evasions are happening from these smart people who have been in the world of energy and environment for a long time. So I think the, the, the most important point about the movie is it evaluates the state of the state of the planet by an anti-human standard, namely unchanged nature, not a pro-human standard, human flourishing. So there's this question, and this this is I'm bringing this up as the most important because there's this question of why do the movie makers evade reality? so much. So data point one that leads me to my conclusion is there's just a cavalier endorsement in the movie of population reduction. You're just seeing that. It's just, just treated as, yeah, this is a totally reasonable thing to lessen 
the number of people on this planet. So I want to show you uh, just a clip, and this comes up repeatedly in the movie. As a global community, we really have got to start dealing with the issue of population. Population growth continues to be the, not the elephant, the herd of elephants in the, in the room. Can a single species that's come to dominate an entire planet be smart enough to voluntarily limit its own presence? Notice, there's just, they're just talking in the abstract and in a, in a about, oh, there's too many people. I and mean, what does that mean? These are alive people that, that they're talking about. And these people are mostly old people. They're people who've totally benefited from the freedom to have, you know, to have kids and to have your kids grow up and, and hopefully grow old. And yet they're just totally cavalierly talking about, yeah, let's reduce the population of the world. And as I said before, there's a lot of evidence that the population of the world is more than sustainable. It can continue to progress as long as we are free to be productive, to create new resources. And yet they're just so cavalier about, oh yeah, let's just, we just need to get rid of a bunch of people. Now the filmmakers afterward in an interview, at least in the one I saw and probably in others said, yeah, we're not, we didn't advocate any specific population reduction, but what is the possible takeaway when you see every expert I talk to? They didn't, I don't know who they talked to because there are a lot of people who know a lot who would say that that is not a moral or quote necessary thing uh, to do. So that's point one that shows there's real non-valuing of human life going on here. And then data point two is the clip I mentioned earlier or I showed earlier where Jeff Gibbs, the maker of the movie says he describes you know, the hockey sticks of human flourishing. So the planet being able to support more people with higher life expectancy, with more resources, that's the most terrifying realization I've ever had. Now, if human life improving dramatically is the most terrifying realization you've ever had, and the reason is because we've had a lot of impact on the planet, what does that mean? That means that you are not evaluating the planet by a human standard or a human measure. You're not evaluating the planet by how good is this for human flourishing because it's so much better for human flourishing and it was so bad for human flourishing by our standards in the past. And what they're doing is there is he's saying, my standard is minimum impact or unchanged nature. Notice he's saying it's terrible because our impact has gone up by a hundred times. So what does that mean? It means his standard by which he's measuring the earth is how little impact. The less impact we have, the better. Well, what is the logical extension of that? That means poverty and ultimately death. So what they're calling sustainability isn't sustaining or improving human flourishing. It's sustaining unchanged nature, which means, but nature excludes human beings in this view. So it's, it's, it's sustaining the non-human. It's a very deeply anti-human perspective. And whenever you're hearing somebody evaluate anything, you should ask the question, by what standard are they evaluating this thing? And so here, they're evaluating things not by the standard of how good things are for human life, but basically by how bad things are from human life. Because to say, I want to minimize human impact means I want to minimize human existence. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, my goal in life is to minimize bear impact, what would you conclude? You would say, it basically means I want to kill all the bears. And so if you say I want to minimize human impact in one form or another, you're saying 
I want to kill all the humans, or at least I want to dehumanize them. I want to make them like all the other animals, which means I want to make them incredibly precarious and scarce. So you can probably see why I do not like this movie. I think it's an evil, the movie has an evil goal. It, it makes true points about green energy to achieve its evil goal, but, but its view is, well, green energy, uh, you know, green energy has an impact, and so we shouldn't use it either. We shouldn't have an impact, and basically we should just suffer and die. Now, they'll put it as we're going to be in harmony with nature, but the average person does not live in harmony with nature. The average person suffers and dies in harmony with nature. So lots of points you can make about how we could enjoy nature more, how we could be more fulfilled. I'm very open to and interested in all those things, and I talk about them on another podcast, The Human Flourishing Project, but to act like our incredible productive ability and our overall incredible impact on this planet isn't an amazing thing that we owe our lives and our opportunities to, that is just that is a deeply wrong perspective. And I think among people who are really educated, it has to come from this anti-human standard, not evaluating things by human flourishing, evaluating them by minimal impact. So what is necessary? What I think we need is we need to care about our environment from a human perspective. So we need a pro-human environmental movement that seeks not to save the planet from human beings, but improve the planet for human beings. And if you want to learn more about that, go to industrialprogress.com. That is my show for today. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can email me at alex at alexepstein.com. You can get The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, my book on Amazon. You can get our newsletter at industrialprogress.com. That's the best source of weekly information. Uh, if you want to learn about speaking or media, go to industrialprogress.com slash speaking. And if you want to support our work, go to industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. That's industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. I've got another bonus episode of Power Hour this week, so look out for that one. That one is called Safer Outside. Uh, I'll be back next week with another topic. Hope you enjoyed this one. Until next week, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.